Homeless Bags by Dean H. Wilde The weather was turning mean again as Larry Parman stepped out, tentatively, from behind the counter marked baggage claim to watch the storms sailing over Medburg Field. They had managed to reduce the flow of passengers to a trickle around midnight. After that, people stopped showing up altogether. But it was not the absence of warm bodies in the airport halls that put his hackles up, and they were indeed up, now standing at full attention as a matter of fact. It was, he realized, the lightning. More precisely, the way it seemed to glide overhead with a sweeping, search-like type of motion that tripped the silent alarm in his personal command center. Across from him, plate glass windows offered a view of the main parking lot and a small clutch of cars huddled in an outer row like abandoned pets. He stood and watched sheets of rain drift past the sodium lights. Crackles of hot white threw swooping shadows across the airport grounds, and he squinted against them, wondering why he heard no thunder. Strange lightning. Strangeling, his hackle-raising unease dubbed it. And then, like an afterthought, something that doesn't belong here. Don Cyphers touched his arm, and he jumped back what felt like a mile. God damn it! he barked, and then gave the man in the Medburg Field polo shirt a thin smile. Who let you out of your cage? That tower's not going to run itself on a night like this. Took a minute to stretch my legs, Cyphers shrugged. His usual overwrought nature held a hint of weariness, or perhaps edginess, running on low current because his own alarm system was gearing up. Everything for us is either grounded or redirected. Skyway, vagabond air, you name it. Besides, Feeney's on with me tonight. I've got him watching the boards. Feeney's back? Probationary status for the next 90 days. Larry grunted over his amazement at how 90 days of scrupulously observed performance was sufficient to scrub a near-mid-air collision off the face of an already threadbare record. I'm surprised they don't send me home when it's this quiet, he finally said. Flight V-22 was the last one to deplane. That was three hours ago. No flights means no bags. Corporate bullshit, Cyphers offered. It was a standard response that was always sure to bring nods all around. Then he pointed across the empty expanse of the baggage area. So are you saving that one for later? Saving? Larry asked, already following the directive of the other man's finger. Medburg Field accommodated all passengers with a single baggage carousel which sat demurely in the corner opposite Larry's desk. The lights in that area were switched down to half capacity in honor of the lack of travelers. And yet the medium-sized travel bag, the type always reminded him of something designed to house bowling balls, seemed stark and obvious sitting there, alone on the belt. He wondered how he could have missed it. The answer was simple, that uneasy part of him volunteered. 
There was no bag to notice. Until now. Did you put Feeney up to this? He asked. Or Wayland? Cyphers held up his hands in a show of blamelessness. Told you, Feeney's in the tower. Wayland, he left when they shut down ticketing. If you're as surprised to see that thing as you seem to be, we should probably follow protocol. The rules were pretty straightforward. They'd all heard them while crammed into training room desks, lined up under harsh fluorescence like somebody's science fair project, hoping to sprout some semblance of compliance. Prevent all interaction by passengers and personnel until security officials can evaluate the situation. Larry weighed this, feeling his unease change to a type of fascination. Then he took a few steps toward the carousel. This was Medburg, Wisconsin, after all. Not LAX, not Chicago, not frickin' BWI. Let me take a closer look before we hit any panic buttons. You know I can't condone that, Cypher said. It's failure to act in accordance with... Go back to your tower, then, Larry said. Show Feeney how to make the little dots on the radar miss each other. Come on, Larry. This storm's got me jumpy enough. Can't we do this by the book? It's got a claim tag, he offered as he stepped closer. Somebody checked it through somewhere. Strangeling, like a wave of camera flashes, made him stop. It gave the bag an almost undulating quality. Something's not right, Cypher said. I say we get Gardner from security down here. Old Tubbaguts himself, Larry stooped close to the bag. By all means, bring him down. It'll be great. I can run numbers on this claim tag. You can pick the knots out of your shorts, and we can both listen to him shoot off his mouth the whole time. Should have stayed up top, Cypher said as he escaped into the half-light of the main passage, which led to the concourse hub and security check-in. I don't have to handle shit like this up in the tower. Larry decided to forego any type of parting comment, suddenly fixated on the zipper closure across the top of the bag. It was mottled with mossy flecks of green. For some reason, it brought to life memories of a poster he'd seen in a long-ago grade school hallway. It demonstrated the consequences of neglectful toothbrushing with the photograph of an open mouth filled with rotted teeth and infected gums. Each time he'd glimpsed it, on his way to the lunchroom or coming back from recess, he was certain the depicted grin was wider, more substantial than the time before, approaching a point where it would be able to munch its way right through the cinder block wall or snatch a bit of meat off a hapless passing student. Finally, before it could establish a hazardous presence in the real world, it was replaced by a new poster, a wise old owl in a graduate cap reminding one and all to never be tardy. But he often wondered if the grin wasn't still there, part of the building now, lurking just under Mr. Owl's paper facade, scheming to one day burst through and finish its hungry work. He shuddered and leaned closer to the bag. 
The claim tag was not a modern barcode strip, but a ragged stub attached to one of the hand grips with a loop of pink string. He grasped it and twirled it toward him. It squirmed, fleshy and living between his fingers. He pulled his hand back with a gasp. The sides of the bag, some sort of scaly black leather, heaved in and out, and a sound deep and throaty leaked from the zipper closure. Oh, what the hell? He heard himself say. The tag writhed at the end of its string, prodding the air, seeking, tasting. Another growl issued from within the leather belly, and its sentiment was undoubtable. It was a warning, not much different than that of a rabid dog, hunched back in the dark safety of its coop. The boards of his alarm system lit up. He was unable to take his eyes off the bag, even when he heard footsteps in the corridor. Gardner says he'll be down after his break, Cyphers announced. Of course, he said it around a mouthful of bologna sandwich, and it was the first one in a stack of about four. God, he eats like a pig. Why are you standing there like that? Shut up a minute. Larry motioned to Cyphers with a cautionary slow-down gesture. Get the flashlight out of my desk. We need to see this thing a little better and bring a luggage cart. What's going on? Just do it and make sure the door to the lockup vault is swung all the way open. I mean it. Lockup? Behind the counter, the little room where I keep the homeless bags when we get them. Do it! Cyphers rummaged around behind the counter for a moment, then switched on a long-neck flashlight. It bobbed in his hand as he wheeled a flat pushcart away from the back wall. I'll say it again, Larry. I don't think we should be touching that thing. Larry stepped lightly to a small utility closet near the counter and snatched a broom from inside. I don't think we have a choice. Stay close. He moved up to the bag slowly. Ill will, as palpable as displaced air around a thrumming machine, seemed to radiate from it. His stomach clenched. He felt wound up and running on too much torque. Unease and fascination had changed again to a type of conviction. This is the plan. I'm going to knock that bag onto the cart, he said. And then you're going to run like your ass is on fire and shove the whole works into lockup, no matter what you see. Got it? Are you kidding me? Cyphers looked seriously ill. Not even a little. He brought the broom up to show he meant it. We can talk about it once this thing is put away. Ready? One. Two. The lights went out. Larry froze, his eyes automatically switching to the window overlooking the landing strips. High-intensity lamps studding either side of runway four, the only open approach for the night, squeezed down to pinpoints and then vanished into the torrential night. No lights burned anywhere, which meant this was everything, the whole show, parking lot lamps, access road overheads and all and he didn't like the feel of it one bit. Not combined with everything else, the strangeling, the bag. 
God damn it, Cyphers lamented. His light beam darted around the room in senseless circles. Why now? Because that's how it is when you've just sunk into some unwelcome shit, Larry wanted to say. And that's exactly what we've got here. He kept it to himself because it seemed unbidden to speak into the smothering blanket of dark. A growl, low and full of dark promise, rose into the air. Was that? Cyphers asked, training the beam on the bag. Yes. He raised his broom defensively. The bag made another of those loose inhale-exhale motions. Its tag darted into the air, two short jabs, and then its zipper mouth unlaced, spreading open like a snarl to show not standard-issue zipper teeth, but a series of tiny hooks. Cyphers backed away a step. Oh, Christ, look at that! Where's Gardner? He needs to... No. He managed to snag Cypher's wrist in the near blackness. I don't think we have that kind of time. Can't you feel it? In the air? Cypher's seemed to consider this, then planted a shaky hand on the pushrail of the luggage trolley once again. Beads of moisture shone on his forehead. Let's contain it, then, whatever it is. Larry clutched up on the broom and rested the bristles against the side of the bag. If I'm wrong, if this isn't as bad as I think it is, I'll buy you a beer or whatever you tower guys like to drink. An ear-splitting yowl erupted from the bag's insides. Its open maw snatched at the broom and clamped onto the bristles. Larry jumped, instinctively lifted the broom, and swung it toward the luggage cart like a fisherman attempting to land a huge and improbable catch. As if aware of the forward motion at its disposal, the bag released its hold at the apex of the swing and flew through the air directly at Don Cyphers. It plowed into him, its zipper mouth battened on his chest, and immediately began to gnaw. Oh, God! Cyphers squealed and fell flat out in the dark. The flashlight tumbled to the floor and rolled away. Oh, God! Oh, my God! It's biting me! Biting! Without thought, Larry cast the broom aside and scrambled forward. The emergency hallway lights came to life. A wash of strangling accompanied it, making everything seem overbright. Cyphers was on his back, holding the bag away from himself, but the opening chomped and snapped, stretching toward him like anxious lips. Shredded patches on the front of his shirt glinted with blood. Before he could think better of it, Larry clutched the exposed underside of the bag. It was hot and writhing in his hands. Let go, Don! Come on! he demanded. Cyphers did not so much let go as he did shove the bag away. Larry drew it against his chest, clenched down, and bolted for the lockup room. Putrid air, organic, revolting, whirled out at him from the depths of the bag's maw as he ran. He caught a glimpse of Cyphers' blood in its teeth. A second later, he flung the bag into the lockup room and shoved the door closed with both hands.
A hazy afterimage seemed to shimmer over the lock-up door as he backed away. The image was a door as well, heavier and slower-moving, studded with rivets and streaked with rust. He glared and let it register for only a second. Then the shimmer image caught up to the tangible Medberg field door and was gone. From behind it came a muffled snarl and a metallic scraping sound, tiny teeth on the interior of the homeless bag's chamber. Oh, God! Cyphers labored at climbing to his feet, looking like the world's oldest track runner at the starting block. What's all this fuss? came a voice from the semi-dark hallway. A hulking form plodded toward them, a set of keys in one hand and a high-powered flashlight in the other. A security badge floated in a sea of uniformed chest flab. It caught the light like a bright and intense eye. Larry felt winded, so it surprised him when his own voice came out like a commanding bark. It's about time, Gardner. We've got a situation here. An orphan, the way I heard it, Gardner said with dry importance. He smacked his lips, clearing away the last vestiges of bologna and mayo. I was also told it's on the carousel. Why ain't it on the carousel? Don't tell me one of you numbnuts moved it. It's in lockup. Larry rested a hand against the homeless bag's door. Gardner wobbled his jowly face as if he hadn't heard correctly. What the hell for? It's not a regular leave behind. Cyphers slogged into a pool of emergency light to inspect his wounds. His hands trembled. It chewed me, for Christ's sake! Look! It chewed me! The flashlight in Gardner's meaty hand made an evaluating sweep. The corner of his mouth twitched, and his eyes grew narrow. Look, I know it's quiet tonight, and you guys are bored, but passengers are no passengers. I got power outage protocols to follow. I don't have time to play. We're not playing. Larry said, with the last of his authoritative tone. He rapped on the door to the lockup, and what was inside responded with an infuriated yowl. The door shuddered as a small leathery body dashed itself against the backside. Gardner's eyes widened. What have you got in there? We don't know, Larry said. Cyphers held out crimson hands. He looked like a man lost in a dream. It looks like a small suitcase, I swear to God. That's what I thought it was, until it chewed you. Yeah, I got that. Gardner nodded and fixed his gaze on the door to the homeless bags room. Open it up. Some of the color drained from Cyphers' face. What? You can't. You heard me. Larry made an imploring motion at the door. Damn it, Gardner, I told you we're not messing around. Neither am I. Gardner reached around and pulled a small handgun from a holster at the small of his back. It looked like a toy in his thick, dimpled hand. That's a firearm, Cypher said, as if needing to broadcast the presence of such unwelcome things 
in the hallowed halls of Medberg Field. Gardner's mouth was touched by a smirk that seemed to say, Damn straight. He trained the gun barrel and his flashlight on the door, two-fisted aiming. Open it up, Parman. Larry took out his key ring. The space inside the homeless bag's room grew quiet as he undid the lock and opened the door just a crack. It's getting ready, he thought, his heart racing. Now, stand over there, the security man said, motioning back toward Cypher's. There are no emergency lights in there, Larry offered. I should hold your flashlight over, Gardner said impatiently and flicked his light toward Cypher's. There. Larry stepped away. Strangeling lit the entire baggage area, making it seem suddenly unfamiliar, strangely cavernous. He shouldn't have that gun, Cypher said in a hoarse whisper. Not concealed like that. Who does he think he is? Larry barely heard him. The interior of the Medberg Field baggage area wasn't exactly modern, but the walls were plain and clean, and he knew them well. At the moment, however, they had changed to crude steel beams and cinder block. The ceiling above him was a reinforcement grid of bare girders. These images shimmered like a transparent overlay, and it made him think of the homeless bag's door. He blinked hard as if to clear his vision. The strangeling ended. The overlays went with it. Did you see that? He asked the other two men. He wondered if what had opened up was opening up wider and wider with every stroke of strangeling. Cypher's voice, nearly a shriek, shook him out of his thoughts. Gardner, don't! The homeless bag's door banged open. Gardner hunched in the doorway like a man peering into a dense fog from his back porch, flashlight in one hand, gun in the other. God damn it, Larry lamented as he rushed up. Are you crazy? He heard Gardner speak a single word, high and almost childlike. Jeepers! The bag lunged out of the dark, skating along the floor as if on a coiled spring. Larry was directly behind Gardner, and he got a straight-on view of the bag's gaping mouth as it skidded into the security guard's flashlight beam. More than that, he got a look into the mouth, pillowy and slick, funneling down behind the teeth to form a fleshy gullet, mottled, greenish, pulsing. He expected Gardner to jump back, perhaps even beat a retreat back down the dark hallway toward a more sensible world of protocols and baloney. Instead, the man took a step forward and dealt a forceful kick. The bag seemed to meet the blow and fold around Gardner's ankle. It did not flinch. Instead, it bit down hard. Gardner hopped backward keeping his foot with the bag aloft, drawing a bead down the barrel of the handgun. At the same time, Cyphers ducked in, the baggage counter flashlight reclaimed and wielded with war club intensity. Strangeling surged. 
Larry's instincts pulled him back a little more, just as Cypher's brought his flashlight around. The rigid head of the flashlight missed its mark by only an inch and cracked sharply against Gardner's elevated shin. Gardner let out a high yelp, and his grounded foot skated out from under him. He toppled backward with violent force, his feet momentarily trading places with his head. Cyphers dodged to the side, but not before Gardner's shoe clipped his cheek and sent him reeling into the gloom. The next second, Gardner landed with a meaty thud. The bag sunk its teeth deeper in defiance of the jarring drop, and Gardner screamed. Every part of him tensed, including his trigger finger. The sharp and deafening gunshot that followed found its mark, Gardner's own free and still elevated left foot. Next to it, the other leg remained aloft and rigid, the bag humping and tearing away uninterrupted. Gardner screamed again. Larry leapt forward. The broom was there at his feet, and he snatched it up, unaware he was standing on the handle until the resistance nearly tripped him. At the last moment, the handle snapped, leaving him with a much shorter, albeit sharper, weapon. He rushed up and spoke directly to Gardner, although it seemed the man was already lost in a fog of pain and panic. I'm going to knock it off of you. Just don't shoot me. The bag dug in deeper, and this time blood welled between its fish-hooked teeth like crimson spring water. Gardner screamed and tensed again. Cyphers, his right eye swelling shut where he'd been caught by a flailing shoe, scrambled over and crouched near Gardner's hands, reaching for the gun. Give that over before you blow... The gun discharged. The bullet entered Cypher's throat just below the jawline and bust out of his right eye socket, turning it into a red and roaring hole. He toppled over, mouth still working, as if to finish his sentence. Larry cried out, a rush of mournful horror as he watched Cypher's fall. Across the room, something moved, detached itself from a shadowy corner, and lurched stealthily along the wall, too deeply shaded by the gloom to be identified, other than it was small, no more than three feet tall. No time, he thought, and turned back to Gardner. Jesus! Gardner squealed, kicking at his attacker with his gunshot foot. Judging from the ragged rift in his shoe, he may have lost some toes. Do something, Parman! Try to hold still, Larry said. He brought the broom handle around, adding an upward scooping motion at the end. The ragged wooden point struck black scaly hide and gained some purchase. The bag tore free and flipped through the gloom, its mouth working like a trout's gulping air, and it landed on its side a few feet away. Larry descended on it before it could right itself. He brought the broom handle down in a two-handed jabbing motion. The point punched through the leather and sunk in neatly, making a wet yet resistant crunch. The bag let out a gargling sound, twitched once, and then fell still. Thick liquid, cloudy and greenish, began to leak over its hook teeth and pool on the floor. Larry pulled the handle out 
and then speared it again for good measure, his mouth hard and fixed in a scowl. Behind him, Gardner reached for his chewed right leg, his gun forgotten on the floor at his side. He seemed to be a neophyte, attempting his first ever sit-up, and not quite making the cut. What Larry could see of the shin and calf between the shreds of uniform was the consistency of raw hamburger. It bled profusely. The other gun-wounded foot painted the floor with its own crimson squiggles. What do I do now? Gardner slurred between gasps and sputters. He caught a glimpse of Cypher's motionless form and wailed. Oh, God, what do I do? Larry glanced at their surroundings. Get up. Can't, Gardner lamented. Oh, God, I can't. In case you hadn't noticed, things are changing around here, and not necessarily for the good. As if to punctuate his point, a volley of strangling lit the place. Larry twisted his head upward. The overlay image was there, much clearer now. He could see pits of rust in the metal ceiling girders and strands of shaggy black material dangling down like moss in a deep south cemetery. It blew slightly in a passing breeze up there. Almost here now, Larry thought, and backed up, his shoe sliding through a puddle of blood near Cypher's head. Almost all are here. Distantly, beneath the rush of wind and rain, he heard a droning sound from outside, steady and familiar. A grave chill settled over him. Propellers. He looked around at the windows as they came alight with Strangling. They were small windows now, reinforced with wire mesh. In front of them were contoured plastic chairs, every third one sidled by a standing ashtray-type apparatus and a metal post fitted with a length of thick chain. Small signs on the walls demanded, Please restrain your bags. Wandering luggage will be confiscated. Further along were what appeared to be banks of pay telephones, low to the ground, gleaming like chrome memories. No dials or number pads fronted these phones, only a single push button. House phones, perhaps. His mind touched upon these things, but dismissed them easily. No need to figure out any of it. It's not for us. It's something they use over there. Over there, which is becoming over here. Parman? He looked around at Gardner, who was propped up on his elbows, gazing into the belly of the baggage area. Things were back to the Medburg field he recognized, for the moment anyway. However, four more suitcases, larger, rectangular ones, were scattered around the room, one of them busily shuffling left-right left-right, along the edge of the carousel. Another ran its zippered mouth open, closed, and open again, as if stretching long unused muscles. When its mouth was open, its teeth bloomed outward, coppery crescents that rippled and glinted. Gardner eyed them, a filament of panic beginning to glow behind each pupil. 
Where in the hell did they come from? Some place we're not supposed to know about. He reached down to take Gardner's meaty arm. As he did this, he checked the ceiling again. As he feared, there were places up there that appeared as gray smudges now, permanent fissures, as if this Medberg field were a layer of flaking paint showing other strata underneath. Some place that's landing right on top of us, brought down by the storm, maybe? Come on! Gardner tried to stand, but sat right back down with a barely stifled scream. I'm not going anywhere, he panted. Hurts too much. One of the new arrivals shuffled over to the defunct speared bag, leaned as if to consider it, then let out a long, low moan. It shuddered as it vocalized, its sides jiggling like an amorphous sack. Gardner stared at it with his hot, filament eyes. Most of the color had run out of his jowly face. What are they doing here, Parman? They're... waiting, he said, marking each suitcase with an evaluating glance. That's mostly what you do in an airport, isn't it? Wait. Then he looked toward the parking lot windows. Strangeling lit the night. A dozen or so man-shaped forms stood in the rain, watching the building with rapt contemplation, unmindful of the downpour pelting their coarse, fabric-like skin. Grommeted nostrils and black bead eyes gleamed. Mouths, which were slanted lines of zipper, seemed fixed in expressions of mute distaste. They began to plod through pavement puddles, scarecrow gloves for hands, faces seamed and greenish like worn army duffels. He could see more of them farther back, hooking around from the landing field where he knew an unfamiliar version of a four-prop plane sat with a portable gangway rolled up to the side. He wondered if Feeney had given them clearance to land. Larry took up the gun and handed it to Gardner. Here, worst case, the door to the homeless bag storage area will lock behind you. Gardner goggled. Well, what are you going to do? I'm going to try to work something out, Larry said, and indicated the words, please restrain your bags, which showed permanently above the windows now. Gardner began to crawl toward the lockup, his flabby arms working overtime. The floor beneath him was no longer smooth Medberg field tile, but plates of craggy fitted stone. Your funeral! The largest of the bags pivoted in small increments, gauging the large man's struggles with a greedy type of patience, its string and tag switching in the air with calculation. Yeah, Larry said. Maybe... There was a side exit leading to the parking lot about twenty paces up the hall, just out of reach of the emergency lights. He strode toward it, mindful of the shapes outside as they filtered close to the plate glass, searching for entry. He could see thirty or more, a couple of them female, one cradling a dripping infant-sized bundle to its chest. In the room behind him, 
The carousel came to life, filling the space with the thump and rattle of cargo riding down the conveyor, bag after bag. Larry felt a sick knot drop into his gut as he estimated the amount of cargo in an average plane load. A moment later, Gardner let out a high and pain-filled scream. It ended wetly and abruptly. There were no gunshots. He pushed the door open and was met by the shuffle of canvas feet. Strangeling flourished and revealed the tarpaulin faces within arm's reach, kneeling together. Welcome to Medburg Field, he said with a sick grimace, all the while thinking, Please, oh please, God, restrain your bags. No response on those faces. Vacant. He noticed how the throats and chests of greenish fabric were covered with snags and rendered holes, scrapes, rips, roughly handled, careworn, telling. All the strength left his body as they ambled past him and took seats in the rows of plastic chairs, hands folded and waiting, almost primly. He sat down hard on the craggy floor. Behind him, the familiar hum of the baggage carousel changed to something piercing, a chitter of inconceivable working parts. All here now, he thought. It's all here. Leathery cargo hopped off the moving track, tags aloft and writhing as they mingled and nudged. Some made low sounds over the hunched bodies scattered on the floor, but most pressed inward expectantly, owners on alert as the last of their sodden luggage shuffled in on canvas legs. He rested his head in his hands and waited, his unease back and twisting up into a brand of pure revulsion. Perhaps if he didn't move, they would disregard him, dismiss him as a lone, strangely upholstered bag, ownerless, homeless. Outside, another plane touched down.